0: Chapters 5 through 8 of Book 2 of Les Miserables, Volume 3, by Victor Hugo. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Greg Bowman. Les Miserables, Volume 3, by Victor Hugo. Translated by Isabel Florence Hapgood. Book 2, Great Bourgeois, CHAPTER Five: BASQUE AND Nicolette. He had theories. Here is one of them. When a man is passionately fond of women, and when, when he himself has a wife for whom he cares but little, who is homely, cross, legitimate, with plenty of rights, perched on the code, and jealous at need, there is but one way of extricating himself from the quandary and of procuring peace and that is to let his wife control the purse-strings this abdication sets him free then his wife busies herself grows passionately fond of handling coin gets her fingers covered with verdigris in the process undertakes the education of half-share tenants and the training of farmers convokes lawyers presides over notaries harangues scriveners visits limbs of the law follows lawsuits, draws up leases, dictates contracts, feels herself the sovereign, sells, buys, regulates, promises and compromises, binds fast and annuls, yields, concedes and retrocedes, arranges, disarranges, hoards, lavishes, she commits follies, a supreme and personal delight, and that consoles her while her husband disdains her she has the satisfaction of ruining her husband this theory m gillenormand had himself replied and it had become his history his wife the second one had administered his fortune in such a manner that one fine day when m gillenormand found himself a widower there remained to him just sufficient to live on by sinking nearly the whole of it in an annuity of fifteen thousand francs three-quarters of which would expire with him he had not hesitated on this point not being anxious to leave a property behind him besides he had noticed that patrimonies are subject to adventures and for instance become national property he had been present at the avatars of consolidated three percents and he had no great faith in the great book of the public debt all that's the rue quinquempois he said his house in the rue Fille du Clavère belonged to him as we have already stated he had two servants a male and a female when a servant entered his establishment m gillenormand rebaptized him he bestowed on the men the name of their province Nimois comtois poitevin picard his last valet was a big foundered short-winded fellow of fifty-five who was incapable of running twenty paces but as he had been born at bayonne gillenormand called him basque all the female servants in in his house were called nicolette even the mignon of whom we shall hear more farther on one day a haughty cook, a cordon bleu of the rough lofty race of porters, presented herself. How much wages do you want a month? asked Monsieur Gillenormand. Thirty francs. What is your name? Olympie. You shall have fifty francs, and you shall be called Nicolette. Chapter six in which Magnon and her two children are seen. With M Gillenormand's sorrow was converted into wrath; he was furious at being in despair. he had all sorts of prejudices and took all sorts of liberties. One of the facts of which his exterior relief and his internal satisfaction was composed was, as we have just hinted, that he had remained a brisk spark, and that he passed energetically for such this he called having royal renown this royal renown sometimes drew down upon him singular windfalls one day there was brought to him in a basket as though it had been a basket of oysters a stout newly born boy who was yelling like the deuce and duly wrapped in swaddling clothes which a servant-maid dismissed six months previously attributed to him Monsieur gillenormand had at the time fully completed his eighty-fourth year indignation and uproar in the establishment and whom did that bold hussy think she could persuade to believe that what audacity what an abominable calumny Monsieur Gillenormand himself was not at all enraged he gazed at the brat with the amiable smile of a good man who is flattered by the calumny and said in an aside well what now What's the matter? You are finally taken aback and really you are excessively ignorant. Monsieur Le Duc de the bastard of his majesty Charles the Ninth, married a silly jade of 15 when he was 85. Monsieur Virginal, marquis de d'Alieu, brother to the cardinal de Sordid, archbishop of Bordeaux, had at the age of 83 by the maid of madame la présidente Jacquin, a son a real child of love, who became a chevalier of Malta, and a counsellor of state, one of the great men of this century. The Abbe Tabarol is the son of a man of 87. There is nothing out of the ordinary in these things. And then the Bible. Upon that I declare that this little gentleman is none of mine. Let him be taken care of. It is not his fault. This manner of procedure was good-tempered, the woman, whose name was Magnon, sent him another parcel in the following year. It was a boy again. Thereupon, Monsieur Gillenormand capitulated. He sent the two brats back to their mother, promising to pay eighty francs a month for their maintenance, on the condition that the said mother would not do so any more. He added: I insist upon it that the mother shall treat them well; I shall go to see them from time to time, and this he did he had had a brother who was a priest and who had been rector of the academy of poitiers for three and thirty years and had died at seventy-nine i lost him young said he this brother of whom but little memory remains was a peaceable miser who being a priest thought himself bound to bestow alms on the poor whom he met but he never gave them anything except bad or demonetized sous thereby discovering a means of going to hell by way of paradise as for m Normand the elder he never haggled over his almsgiving but gave gladly and nobly he was kindly abrupt charitable and if he had been rich his turn of mind would have been magnificent he desired that all which concerned him should be done in a grand manner even his rogueries one day, having been cheated by a businessman in a matter of inheritance, in a gross and apparent manner, he uttered this solemn exclamation. That was indecently done. I am really ashamed of this pilfering. Everything has degenerated in this century, even the rascals. More bleu. This is not the way to rob a man of my standing. I am robbed as though in a forest, but badly robbed. Silver, since, concert. He had had two wives, as we have already mentioned, by the first he had had a daughter, who had remained unmarried, and by the second another daughter, who had died at about the age of thirty, who had wedded, through love or chance or otherwise, a soldier of fortune who had served in the armies of the Republic and of the Empire, who had won the cross at Austerlitz and had been made a colonel at Waterloo. He is the disgrace of my family said the old bourgeois he took an immense amount of snuff and had a particularly graceful manner of plucking at his lace ruffle with the back of one hand he believed very little in god chapter seven rule receive no one except in the evening such was Monsieur luc esprit gianormand who had not lost his hair which was gray rather than white and which was always dressed in dog's ears. To sum up, he was venerable in spite of all this. He had something of the eighteenth century about him, frivolous and great. In eighteen fourteen, and during the early years of the Restoration, Monsieur Gillenormand, who was still young-he was only seventy four-lived in the Faubourg Saint Germain, rue Servandoni, near Saint Sulpice. He had only retired to the Marais when he quitted society, long after attaining the age of eighty. And on abandoning society, he had immured himself in his habits. The principal one, and that which was invariable, was to keep his door absolutely closed during the day, and never to receive anyone whatever except in the evening. He dined at five o'clock, and after that his door was open. That had been the fashion of his century, and he would not swerve from it. The day is vulgar, said he, and deserves only a closed shutter. Fashionable people only light up their minds when the zenith lights up its stars, and he barricaded himself against every one, even had it been the king himself this was the antiquated elegance of his day chapter eight two do not make a pair we have just spoken of monsieur Gillenormand's two daughters they had come into the world ten years apart in their youth they had borne very little resemblance to each other either in character or countenance and had also been as little like sisters to each other as possible The youngest had a charming soul, which turned towards all that belongs to the light, was occupied with flowers, with verses, with music, which fluttered away into glorious space, enthusiastic, ethereal, and was wedded from her very youth, in ideal to a vague and heroic figure. The elder also had her chimera which she espied, in the azure, some very wealthy purveyor, a contractor, a splendidly stupid husband, a million-made man, or even a prefect, the receptions of a prefecture, an usher in the antechamber with a chain on his neck, official balls, the harangues of the town hall, to be Madame La Praffite. All this had created a whirlwind in her imagination, Thus the two sisters strayed, each in her own dream, at the epoch when they were young girls. Both had wings, the one like an angel, the other like a goose. No ambition is ever fully realized, here below at least. No paradise becomes terrestrial in our day. The younger wedded the man of her dreams, but she died. The elder did not marry at all at the moment when she makes her entrance into this history which we are relating she was an antique virtue an incombustible prude with one of the sharpest noses and one of the most obtuse minds that it is possible to see a characteristic detail outside of her immediate family no one had ever known her first name she was called mademoiselle gillenormand the elder in the matter of cant mademoiselle gillenormand could have given points to a miss her modesty was carried to the other extreme of blackness she cherished a frightful memory of her life one day a man had beheld her garter age had only served to accentuate this pitiless modesty her guimp was never sufficiently opaque and never ascended sufficiently high she multiplied clasps and pins where no one would have dreamed of looking the peculiarity of prudery is to place all the more sentinels in proportion as the fortress is the less menaced nevertheless let him who can explain these antique mysteries of innocence she allowed an officer of the lancers her grand-nephew named theodule to embrace her without displeasure in spite of this favored lancer, the label Prude, under which we have classed her, suited her to absolute perfection. Mademoiselle Gillenormand was a sort of twilight soul. Prudery is a demi virtue and a demi vice. To prudery she added bigotry, a well assorted lining. She belonged to the society of the Virgin, wore a white veil on certain festivals, mumbled special orisons revered the holy blood venerated the sacred heart remained for hours in contemplation before rococo jesuit altar in a chapel which was inaccessible to the rank and file of the faithful and there allowed her soul to soar among little clouds of marble and through great rays of gilded wood she had a chapel friend an ancient virgin like herself named mademoiselle Vabois, who was a positive blockhead and beside whom mademoiselle gillenormand had the pleasure of being an eagle beyond the des and ave maria mademoiselle Vabois had no knowledge of anything except of the different ways of making preserves mademoiselle Vabois, perfect in her style was the ermine of stupidity without a single spot of intelligence let us say it plainly mademoiselle gillenormand had gained rather than lost as she grew older this is the case with passive natures she had never been malicious which is relative kindness and then years wear away the angles and the softening which comes with time had come to her she was melancholy with an obscure sadness of which she did not herself know the secret there breathed from her whole person the stupor of a life that was finished and which had never had a beginning she kept house for her father Gillenormand had his daughter near him as we have seen that Monsignor bienvenu had his sister with him these households comprised of an old man and an old spinster are not rare and always have the touching aspect of two weaknesses leaning on each other for support. There was also in this house, between this elderly spinster and this old man, a child, a little boy, who was always trembling and mute in the presence of Monsieur Gillenormand. Monsieur Gillenormand never addressed this child except in a severe voice, and sometimes with uplifted cane: Here, sir, rascal, scoundrel, come here! Answer me, you scamp. Just let me see you, you good for nothing, etc., etc. He idolized him. This was his grandson. We shall meet with this child again later on. End of book two, chapter eight, recording by Greg Bowman.